Amen. Please be seated. And good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. Thank you. And I better just get this out of the way right now. He is risen. Thank you. I knew if I didn't do that, at least a dozen people would be questioning my salvation. Like it's, it's Easter Sunday. He didn't say it. So he is risen, and we are celebrating that here together. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning for this Resurrection Sunday is The Power to Change. The Power to Change. All people desire to change. It's true. Every one of us, all people desire to change. Right? There, there's nobody who has even spent a moment in self-reflection who gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says to themselves, that's it. I've arrived. There's nowhere else to go from here except down. If you're married, please do not try to have that kind of morning pep talk in your home because your spouse will bring you back to reality very quickly. None of us have arrived. All of us desire to grow. All of us desire change. And the reason for that, the reason why all people desire to change is because no one is perfect. And no one is perfectly happy. And so, for the most part, people are always tinkering with themselves or their lives, changing this or that to turn themselves into the person that they truly want to be. But herein lies the problem. Many of the ways that we attempt to change ourselves are too superficial to make us into the people that we really desire to be or to make us truly happy. Now, there's many examples of the ways that we do try to change ourselves. One of the most common is to just change the way that we look. We say, you know what, I'm going to adopt a new diet. I'm going to get in the gym and start working out. I'm going to change the way that I look. So we'll go for diet or exercise. Maybe we'll change our hairstyle, at least for those of us who have that option. Why are you laughing? You don't realize how insecure I am, do you? Maybe I'll get plastic surgery. There's so many different ways. I want to change the way that I look. Or maybe we want to change our location. Like, I just feel like I need a fresh start. I want to do something new. I'm going to move to a new city or out of state or at least get into a different home or apartment. Or people will try to change their relationships. Maybe if I just had a new partner or a new spouse. Or, of course, we can do a career change. You know, if I had new challenges that I could try to accomplish or new pursuits that I could chase after. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these things that I'm describing can be positives in your life. Some of these things can lead to levels of increased happiness and satisfaction. But please, hear me out. You can do every single one of those things that I just described and many other things and still find that there are layers of discontent in your life. And some of you are nodding right now. Perhaps you've experienced that yourself. You've pursued many of these things and there's still these layers of discontent. Friends, according to the Bible, human beings, you and I, are created in the image of God. And as such, we have been designed by God to live the way of love. 
One time in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was approached by the religious scholars of his day. So think of kind of the seminary professors, the people who really, really understood God's word. And they came to Jesus, this young, popular rabbi, and they said, Rabbi or teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus was communicating there in that conversation is that when we boil down all that God desires for us to do and how he has designed us to live in this world, it boils down to love. God has designed us to live the way of love. And so that means that sin is the opposite of that. Sin turns us away from the love of God and away from loving others. And this is what fractures our interior lives and produces the greatest discontent within us. When we really think about it, and we think about the ways that we want to change, or when we really stop and think about the things that we are unhappy with about ourselves, it has much more to do with our character and much less to do with our circumstances. It has to do with our personalities and our attitudes and our behaviors toward other people. Why am I always so irritable with my kids when I get home from work? Why am I always harsh toward my spouse instead of kind? How come I seem to have no self-control when it comes to this? Why can't I let go of bitterness toward this person and learn to forgive? How come I can't seem to be generous instead of always wanting more? Why is it so easy for me to lie instead of just being upfront and truthful? How come I always go back on my word instead of being faithful to my commitments? Why do I crave people's attention so badly that I'll do just about anything to get them to notice me? How come I constantly struggle with worry instead of being at peace of mind? Why can't I be grateful instead of always comparing what I have to others? Why do I constantly assume the worst about other people instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt? You see, family, whether we use this language or not, the root cause of our deepest discontent is sin. It's failure to love God, ourselves, or others. But the good news of the Bible and it's good news that we see right here in Romans 8 in front of us, is that God, because of his great love for you, has freed us from both the penalty of our sin and the power of our sin. Look again at verse 10. Here's Romans 8:10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life, because of righteousness. Now, I highlighted on the screen there the phrase, although the body is dead because of sin, because it points to the penalty of our sin. And Paul is pointing out that we, even as Christians, have a sentence of death that is hanging over our physical bodies. 
Romans 6.23 tells us why. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the penalty for our sin is death. It's being alienated from the love of God. But family, for those of us who are in Christ, our story doesn't end there. Look at verse 11, it goes on. And Paul says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. On Friday, Christians around the world celebrated Good Friday, which commemorates the day where our Lord Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of God's people. And now here on Easter Sunday, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. That three days later, after Jesus was nailed to that cross, death could not hold him. And he walked forth from that grave, triumphing over death once and for all. So that all who put their faith in Jesus, even though they have this sentence of death that is hanging over their physical bodies, death will not have the last word. We will because of Christ's spirit that is now in us, we will experience life being given to these mortal bodies. And this, friends, demonstrates that God has freed us from the penalty of our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're 20 and under in here, the idea that when this life's over, you're going to have resurrection life or eternal life. That's just kind of like, okay, cool. But like death is not on your radar, right? You're just thinking about all the life you have right now. But if you're getting up in age, this is, this is really, really important. This is great news. That when these physical bodies die, that's not the end of the story for those of us who are in Christ. The same spirit that brought life back to Jesus' dead body will give life to your body at the end of your earthly existence. And so we see again in this text that Jesus freed us from the penalty of our sin. And this is the thing that we generally focus on in Easter or at Easter and during Easter sermons. Victory over the grave. But guess what? There's more. And so we're not going to stop there. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just speak a word for us after this life. It speaks a word to us about life right now on this side of the grave. And there is resurrection life that is available to us because of the spirit of Jesus. And this is what we're going to focus on for the remainder of our time. Please notice with me. That the power of the Holy Spirit is not only at work in us at the resurrection once this life is over, but he's at work in us even now. Look at verse 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Family, we have a lot of life, presumably, to live before the resurrection. 
And this text is telling us that the same Holy Spirit who will powerfully raise our bodies from the dead at the resurrection is powerfully at work in us right now. And he is enabling us, who are believers today, to actually put to death the deeds of the body. Paul talks about this two chapters before in Romans 6. Here's what he says in Romans 6, 4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are being given newness of life for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. What Paul is saying in Romans 6.4 is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead serves as a powerful picture of the new spiritual life that he gives to us when we become Christians. We who belong to Jesus are no longer allowed to live according to the flesh. Actually, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, you don't owe the flesh anything. He says, we're not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. Now, what does that mean? What what is the flesh? Well, that's a really important word in the New Testament, especially in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And that word flesh, the Greek word sarx, refers to our humanity with all of its limitations, all of its weakness, and all of its frailty. That's what your flesh is. It's your humanity and all of its weakness. And so it's our flesh that is liable to temptation. But as we're reading, we've been set free from living life merely in the realm of the flesh, controlled by the power structures and dynamics of this present evil age. No, family, listen, we live in the realm of the Spirit, and in His power we can actually put to death the deeds of the body. Now, we have to keep in mind that when Paul here is talking about killing the flesh, or killing sin, or as he puts it, putting to death the deeds of the body. Paul is not here thinking about you and I learning how to say no to some cosmic naughty list that God has out in the universe. What Paul has in mind here is you and I learning to say no to all of the different ways that we can choose to not live the way of love, to say no to all the ways that we can choose to not love God and not love people. This is what he has in mind. Sin is the antithesis to the life of love. It's the opposite of it. Righteousness is synonymous with the way of love. And so for the Christian, we need to understand that Jesus has opened up a brand new way of life for us. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us and empowers us to become who we are truly meant to be. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 we read this about believers that we've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now apart from the Holy Spirit we could never ever ever in a million years grow up into the kind of person that God designed us to be and the kind of person that we truly want to be. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, by the way, 
that was powerful enough to take Jesus when he was dead and bring him back to life. In his power, we can become who we are meant to be. We can become like Jesus, the true human. Now, many Christians, maybe even some of us here today, fail to fully grasp what this means for us. Many Christians look at the sins in their life, the things that they really don't like about themselves, the things that they wish they could move beyond, and they just feel trapped. Like, like this is never going to change. Sure, maybe when I die and I go to heaven and I get a glorified body, I can get a handle on this stuff, but there is no hope for me to overcome this stuff right now. I can never move fully beyond this. I heard a pastor say something that stayed with me one time. He said, you may be choosing to stay in your sin, but you're not stuck in it. You may be choosing to stay in your sin, but family, you are not stuck in it. You're not. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, do you really believe that he lacks the power to help you overcome the sins that you struggle with? As Christians, we're used to thinking about the resurrection as many things. We're used to thinking about the resurrection as like the proof that Christianity is true, and it's certainly that. Or we think about the resurrection as the guarantee that we also will experience the resurrection after we die, and that's true. And these are wonderful truths, and these are things that are worthy of our attention. But friend, have you ever, in your life, thought of the resurrection as the ultimate evidence that you can change. It is the ultimate evidence that you can actually change into the person that God designed you to be. I want to just stop for a moment this morning and consider together the power that was necessary in order for the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus back to life. When you think about where we are in 2022, with all of our sophisticated medical technology, when somebody dies, and let's say they've been laying there on the table for an hour, two hours, we are powerless to do anything about it. But think about Jesus. Jesus was not dead for a few hours, but a few days. And what's more, Jesus didn't just die, he was mutilated. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was brutally whipped before he was nailed to that cross. Historians will tell us that the the Roman cat of nine tails, the whip that they used, was incredibly destructive because what the Romans would do is they would take pieces of like glass or pottery or nails and they would embed that into these leather straps so that when they would actually whip a victim with it, It wouldn't just lacerate the skin, but it would actually latch onto the skin. And then as the whip was brought back, it would tear the skin in the flesh. And so scholars tell us that Jesus, as he hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, his back would have been completely exposed. Probably his vital organs, like his kidneys and his lungs, being exposed. Family, not only that, we know that Jesus was pierced through his heart with a spear. And then he was laid in a tomb for three days. 
And so what that means is that when we read about the Holy Spirit bringing this man back to life, the Holy Spirit needed to actually do some reconstruction of these vital organs, putting pieces back together and breathing life back into Jesus's body so that he could come back from the dead. And so, family, let me ask you this this morning. If the same Spirit who had the power to take Jesus' mutilated and broken body and put it back together and breathe life into him dwells inside of you, don't you think he can empower you to start saying kind words to your spouse again? If the same Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead dwells in you, don't you think that he can empower you to forgive your parents? Or your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend? If the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago dwells inside of you, don't you think he can empower you to stop looking at pornography? Or to stop turning to drugs or alcohol as a coping mechanism? Or to start showing respect and honor to people that you disagree with online? Of course he can. Of course he can. And family, this is part of the good news of the resurrection. Again, the resurrection is the ultimate evidence that you can change, that you and I can become the people that God designed us to be and the people that ultimately we desire to be. And this is great news. In his power, we can actually change into the people we truly desire to be. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul famously talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is sort of a summary list of what this new life in Christ looks like. And he writes this, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is, number one, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I mean, imagine knowing a person who is marked, distinguished by those nine things I just read. Somebody that that when you define that person, they are a person marked by love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Wouldn't that be a remarkable person? Because, I mean, what's the opposite of that? What are a lot of people? They're marked by, like, the opposite of that kind of stuff. But somebody that's marked by that, what a beautiful, attractive person, and what a deeply meaningful and satisfying life. Family, I want you to know here this morning on this Easter Sunday that in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you and I are led into a life that is hurried, or that is not hurried, but restful, not anxious, but at peace, not stingy, but generous, not lazy, but diligent, not harsh, but gentle, not rude, but kind, not selfish, but selfless, not combative, but conciliatory, not arrogant, but humble, not bitter, but forgiving, not degrading, but uplifting, not dishonest, but truthful, 
not downcast, but hopeful. Isn't that the kind of life that you long for? I mean, isn't that the kind of character, the kind of attitude, the kind of perspective that you desire to have? Friend, if you are a Christian here today, this is the kind of life that the Holy Spirit intends for you to grow up into. Now, Easter points us to many amazing truths. And Easter is a day that fills us as Christians with hope. But today, the hope that I'm wanting to instill into our church family is the amazing truth that the very same Spirit who brought Jesus back from the dead is at work in us who are the children of God. He is working in us right now. In fact, in our last verse, verse 14, Paul suggests that the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is like the ultimate evidence that that person actually is a child of God. Here's what he says in verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So do you want to know if you belong to the Lord? Do you want to know if you're a child of God? The Spirit of God will be leading you and working and operating in your life. It's sort of a litmus test. Now I realize that every Sunday, and especially on Easter Sunday, we have people who are visiting us who are not Christians. And we're so glad that you're here. And we sincerely hope that if you're here and you're not a Christian today, that you have felt welcomed and that you felt valued because you certainly are. And you might be here today at the invitation of a friend or a family member. Maybe you're here because it's a tradition that you go to church on Easter. Or maybe you're here today because you're genuinely curious about Christianity and you're exploring the Christian faith. Whatever the case, as I close this Easter sermon today, I want to address the most important question for somebody who's not a Christian in light of this message. And it's this question. How can I receive the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is this power that you're talking about that can actually change me into the person that God intends me for me to be, how can I receive the Holy Spirit? The answer is this. In John 7, 37 through 39, Jesus is at a great feast in Jerusalem. And we read, on the last day of this feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. Listen to the words of Jesus. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Look at verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus, in John 7 there, is offering himself to anyone and everyone who is spiritually thirsty. He's looking out on the world, a world filled with people who are searching, filled with people who are saying, I just can't get this spiritual thirst quenched. And Jesus says, if that's you, you can come. Come to me. And he says that everyone who believes in him will receive the Holy Spirit. And so if you're realizing here today 
that the way of sin, which is fracturing your relationship with God and others and even your inner life, has grown quite bitter in your mouth. And that the way of love that Jesus describes, learning to love God and love others, if you're realizing that that is the way that you want to live, friend, you need to know that Jesus invites you to come to him and become his disciple. To trust in him as your savior, the one who can remove all of your sin and restore your broken relationship with God. And to trust in him as your Lord, who you will now follow in the way of love that Jesus himself lived. And to those who do this, Jesus' promise is clear. You will receive his Holy Spirit. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will give life to your mortal bodies. When this life ends, you yourself will experience the resurrection. You will be raised again to eternal life with Jesus in his Father's kingdom. And as I've been explaining today, not only that, but Jesus right now will raise you to newness of life so that you can begin to grow in the ways that truly matter. And you can become the person that God designed you to be And that ultimately, whether you're aware or not, you actually desire to be. And so our hope as a church family is if anyone's joined us who is not a Christian, if you've joined us and you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, our hope has been that today would be a day, the day rather, that you would say yes to Jesus and trust in him and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Let's pray.